0: But can we put our hands together for the serve team, all the volunteers that put our, our services together today? Super proud of you guys. Uh, how many of you have ever seen the movie Rudy? 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 Okay, we got... Oh, yeah, nice. So it uh, came out in, I think it was 1993. And um, if you've never seen this movie, I dare you to watch this movie and not cry. Okay, if you, if you don't cry watching Rudy, you do not have a soul, right? I mean, I've watched it three times. I, I, I always cry. Um, Rolling Stone ranked it the number one football movie of all time. I couldn't agree more. It's the true life story of Daniel Eugene Rudinger, nicknamed Rudy. Um, Rudy was one of 13 kids born in 1948. He had dyslexia, uh, five feet, six inches tall, 165 pounds, not an ounce of athleticism in him at all. But he always dreamed of going to Notre Dame and playing football for Notre Dame. So he went into the Navy and did a, a four-year stint, Got out of the Navy, went to a junior college for a couple of years, applied over and over and over again to get into Notre Dame. And on his fourth try, he finally got in and then he registered on the football team. But basically he was just like a tackling dummy for the varsity football team for two straight years and he never played in a game. So when I first began to follow Jesus, I I went to church. I I think I felt a little bit like Rudy. Like I I was part of a parachurch ministry, a campus ministry, and there I got to play. Like I got to, like you know, share my faith, and I got equipped, and I saw people come to faith. And then I go to church, and I go, "Hey, this is great. Can I play?" Like the pastor did his thing, and the choir did their thing, and there were a few people that you know taught Sunday school and stuff. But there was no invitation to ever, to ever play. It's kind of like I got the Broncos jersey, you know. And I'm in the stands, but I don't get to go on the field and play. Not that I'm qualified to play, but let's just talk about that for a moment, okay? So um, if you're a guy, you, you can probably relate to this. The last few years as we've watched this carousel of quarterbacks, have you ever wondered, like, I could do that. Like, <laughs> like I, I, I could do what they're doing. Like, you know, you watch them throw a shuffle pass, supposedly to the tailback, and the linebacker gets it, pick six. And you're like, come on, I, I, I could do that, uh, my inner Rudy sometimes got aroused. Like, I want to play, I want to play. Well, uh, some of you, uh, truth be told uh, before we even get, on, get onto that, let's just take a moment. Maybe even have a moment of silence. Um, our carousel of quarterbacks has ended with Russell Wilson. Do you agree? Yes. How many of you been praying for a good quarterback? <laughs> your prayers have been answered. your prayers and in fact, there, there's brackets going on for like March Madness. Pastors have brackets We're all, we're all betting on which church uh, Russell and Sierra are going to go to. and so. <laughs> Here's the deal, if you, if you get Russell and Sierra to come to, to this church, you, you no longer have to tithe, okay? For one, we're not going to need your tithe, uh, but anyway, I, I mean, it'd be great to have them here today, okay? Well, um, truth be told, some of you don't want to play in the game, and, and there's probably two reasons for that. Either you, you haven't begun to follow Jesus yet, and he hasn't been transforming your heart, and so you don't want in the game of what God's doing in the world, restoring people into the right relationship with himself. Know, making the world the kind of place that Jesus originally designed it to be. You, you haven't experienced that love, and so it's just not inside of you. You haven't had that connection with God yet. Or perhaps you're, you're following Jesus, but you've lost your first love, and, and your heart's become lukewarm. And I'm here more as a pastor than a prophet today, but I, I've been praying for you. If your, your heart is lukewarm, I'm, I've been praying that during this season, this Lent season, leading up to Easter, that, that you would come back to your first love. you do the things you did at first, that kept you so in love with God and so full of his love, and then you can't help but to want to share that love with other people. So some of you don't want to be in the game for different reasons, but then others of you didn't even know you could play, that you could actually be a part of what God's doing in the world through his church and through making disciples and restoring things to himself. Uh, it, was, it was like you got the Broncos jersey, the brand, you're a Christian check. You prayed a prayer. You were confirmed or whatever. You got baptized, but no one ever told you that you could play. And I have to take responsibility for that along with other pastors because we often convert you to be Christians and then we convert you to comfort. We say all we want you to do is just show up and fill a seat and give us a little money and build our little empires we call church. And and this church is trying to repent of that. We we don't want to call you to comfort. We want to call you to what God has made you for, to changing the world. And so part of our repentance is to not just do weekends like we're doing here now, which these are great. We need to gather and worship and and hear the word of God and have our kids discipled and all that. But um, if you're new to Restoration, we have this simple church movement. Uh, We are part of, I, I believe, what God is doing around the world. He is igniting disciple making movements. There are 1,700 disciple making movements that have been identified around the world. They're all like house church movements. It's all underground. For the first time since uh, Constantine, there are more churches underground in homes than there are above ground in buildings like this. And so we're part of what God's doing in in this time, in this era. And so a simple church, if you're new to restoration, it's simply a a handful of people that gather on a regular basis to, to love God, love people, and make disciples. But they're different than small groups. They're more uh, practice, obedience, faith-based. You, you actually hold each other accountable to only do what God's telling you to do, but, but also to make disciples. And uh, they're flourishing. We're seeing so many people come to faith uh, through our, our disciple-making movement in our simple churches. And so um, we want to give you the tools that you need to be able to not just come to church, but go be the church during the week. Amen? Somebody who's in one? Okay. Uh, but some of you, you're like Rudy. Like, You just want an opportunity. You just want to play. And you just need some training and some opportunity. And here's the jersey, but now get on the field. And I want to help you with that that today. Um, What I know about every single one of you is that you're made for more. than just warming a seat and being comfortable in your Christianity. You're made for more. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says that God has put eternity in our hearts. We were made. We were made, every single one of us, to make an eternal difference in people's lives until Jesus comes back and restores all things. So today I want to talk about how we can all play our role, our position in God's kingdom game of restoring the world and making disciples for Jesus. To do that, there's three things I want to suggest that we do. Um, If you're joining us for the first time or you haven't been for a while, we're still in the book of Acts. If you haven't been for a while, we'll be in the book of Acts probably until Jesus comes home. Okay, But um, today we're in Acts 16, uh, 1 through 10. So let's just jump in. Because the first thing we have to do, and we'll learn from this passage, the first thing we have to do to find our play, our position, is to embrace our unique vocation. So Paul, it says, came to Derby and then to Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was Jewish and a believer, but whose father was a Greek. The believers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. Paul wanted to take him along on the journey, so he circumcised him, ouch, uh, because of the Jews who lived in that area for they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they traveled from town to town, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem for the people to obey. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and grew daily in number. So context, here's what's happening. Uh, The the book of Acts is about the the movement of the gospel and this early disciple-making movement from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth. And so Paul goes on a missionary journey. It's like an out-and-back course. He goes out and he's... He's just sharing the good news and people, Jews and Gentiles alike, are coming to faith. And then he comes back on his way home to, to Antioch and he's establishing churches, simple churches. Don't think this, think like in your home with a meal, using your gifts, you're the pastor. Okay? So he establishes them. Then on his second journey, he goes back out to strengthen them some more. And then he wants to take some new ground, some terra nova, so some new territory for, for the gospel. But he's a little light on his team, you know? takes teamwork to make the dream work. The right dream without the right team is a nightmare, right? So he doesn't have a very strong team. He, just, he had a conflict with Barnabas and, and Mark. We learned about that last week in Jason's message. And so he's kind of light. He just has Silas, from what we can tell. And so as he's going, he's building his team. And he comes across this guy named Timothy in Lystra. And, and we know from 1 Timothy, his mom, who was Jewish, taught him the scriptures from the time he was just a little tiny boy. But they didn't know about the Messiah, they didn't know about Jesus. So uh, he comes to faith and he has a good reputation. And so Paul meets this guy and he goes, wow, there's something, there's something here. There's something unique that God's calling this young man to. Now think about what it would have been like to be Timothy. Like now it's cool to be a multiracial. That's a fairly recent phenomena, right? Like even a few decades, decades ago bad, but now it's like, that's cool. That's cool. But 2,000 years ago, that was really, really bad. And so his whole life, when he's in the synagogue, he's not Jewish enough. He's, he's Gentile part Gentile, so he's not Jewish enough. When he goes to the Agora, which was like the marketplace where you would buy stuff and be entertained and exchange ideas, well, well, there, he's not Gentile enough. He's not Greek enough. And so everywhere he was, he probably felt a little bit out of place. Like, does God have a calling on my life? I, I, no, I, am I wanted anywhere? Hey, have you ever felt like uh, you have a liability that keeps you from being used by God, and then later as you, as you journey, you realize your liability was an asset? Have you ever had that experience? Yeah. Thanks for raising a hand. I'm all by myself up here. Okay. Um, more hands. Yeah, that's been true of me. So for those of you who are new, I got divorced eight, nine years ago, whatever it was. And um, I I went to seminary in the 80s. And I thought, you get the scarlet D, you're done. You're done. Uh, but because of the particulars of, of what happened in that relationship, the elders said, not only are you you're qualified to get sustained ministry, but you're also qualified to... Um, to get remarried. And uh, I, mean, I don't know what I d- would have done if it hadn't been for those elders, like supporting me through that season. And what I've discovered over time is what I thought was going to be a liability for the rest of my life has become an asset. Now, I still try to encourage everyone to do everything they can to build great marriages. You know, the scripture is high on marriage, low on divorce. But, but half, half the crowd that I'm speaking to every weekend is divorced. And before I would judge you, I was self-righteous. And, and now I'm not. And so I've been able to be compassionate towards people, but I've also been able to give hope because of what God has done in my life through restoring me and, and now uh, through my wife, Carissa, and our two amazing kids. May the tribe not increase, but I have five kids. More on that in a second. <laughs> so Timothy, he's like, the things I thought were an acid column, Paul's saying, no, I see in you an opportunity. And so he takes the, uh, the, the liabilities, puts them in the acid column, and he says this is perfect because Paul's strategy would be to go into a synagogue Jewish people, and, and share the gospel and how Jesus fulfilled all the prophecies about the Messiah. And then a few people would often begin to follow Jesus. Then he would go out into the, the Agora, the marketplace, and he'd share the gospel with the Gentiles. And then he'd begin to like, raise up leaders and train leaders to, to fund the disciple-making movement and start little simple churches in, in their home. So Timothy was like a perfect fit for his team. So we're going to need to talk a little bit about what it means to, to have a vocation because all of us are in process. We're, we're all, you know, in our unique ways seeking to find, like, what am I here for? What's my purpose? What's God's unique vocation on my life or calling on my life? So let's talk about um, the word vocation for just a moment. Let's talk about what it, it's not first. Um, it's not your career. In our secular culture, we, we call our career our vocation, and that's not true. That's a bastardized understanding of. A vocation. Um, The Latin word from which we get the word vocation uh, is vocatio, which means to summon, which means there's someone involved in the summoning. And and the root word vocare is to call. So your calling and your vocation, same thing, same thing. But if there's a call, there's a caller. It doesn't come from inside of you, even though, as we'll talk about in a minute, you have to listen to your heart, your soul. It comes from outside of you. We all have a creator, the author of life, and he's designed us for a unique vocation, a a unique calling. So how do we find it and how do we better understand it? Um, First, we have to unpack some of the damage that's been done with this this idea of calling and vocation historically. So uh, the church was mainly a, a movement of disciples meeting in homes And then because of Constantine, the emperor of Rome, it became like above ground and we started building buildings and became very uh, much a a bureaucracy and an institution. And there was a guy named Eusebius, who was somewhat of a theologian, but more more of a historian. And he talked about how there's two tiers of calling. He said there's a perfect calling and there's a permissive calling. And at the top tier, he put like priests and monks and popes and bishops and all that and pastors. And then in the second level, he put everyone else. You know, bakers and brickmakers and homemakers and all that kind of thing, and that did that did uh, incredible harm, I believe, to disciples and to the movement that Jesus began, and, and to the church and to our understanding, our sense of identity as as followers of Jesus. Well, fortunately, uh, in the 1700s, the reformers began to actually read the Bible, and they began to, to you know they they were tired of the of the what, what the church had done to people, and so they began to read. And Martin Luther, who was like the beginning point for the, the Reformation, he said, the works of monks and priests, however holy and arduous they be, do not differ one whit in the sight of God from the works of the rustic labor in the field or the woman going about her household task, but that all works are measured before God by faith alone. Indeed, the menial housework of a manservant or maidservant is often more acceptable to God than all the fastings and other works of a monk or priest because the monk or priest lacks faith did you catch that he's saying the callings of pastors and religious workers are no more important than anyone else is calling that every every place where we our lives meet reality, if we do it in faith and love, that is God's calling on our lives, and it's just as sacred to somebody like me up front preaching a message. So how do we find that calling? How do we hear the caller speak to us? Well, we have to listen, right? How, for Timothy, it was a process. He, he listened to God. He, God spoke to him through his mother, through Paul, through the scriptures, through, through opportunity. We have to listen. Parker Palmer says, vocation does not come from willfulness, like trying really hard to find your calling. It, it comes from listening. He says, he says, I must listen to my life and try to understand what it is, it is truly about quite apart from what I would like it to be about. Or my life will never represent anything real in the world, no matter how earnest my intentions. This is a great question. Is the life I am living the same as the life that wants to live in me? Is that rich? Now, Parker Palmer uh, was a pastor. And so uh, I'm reading into this some of his theological understanding. He, He believed, as I do and as those of us who follow Jesus do, that when you begin to follow Jesus, the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, is no longer outside you. The Spirit of God is inside you. Speaking to your soul, speaking to your heart on a moment-by-moment basis. And we have to listen to the Spirit speak to us moment-by-moment in order to find our calling. It's always intimacy before impact. Always. If you're not yet following Jesus, the Spirit's still speaking to you. He's still calling you. But we have to listen. So some tools for listening. One is to understand it's an evolving process. We get better at listening over time as we practice it. And we don't find our calling in some one-or-done moment. You know, we get knocked off our horse, there's lightning, there's pyrotechnics, we go, got it, done, don't need any more, God, I got my calling. No, it's moment by moment because our, our, our calling affects every single aspect of our lives. Um, obviously, we have to listen to God. We, we have to learn to hear the voice of God and distinguish it from all the other voices, the voices inside of us and the voices outside of us, our parents, our friends, our culture. We have to learn to hear God's voice above all the other voices. Uh, We have to listen to the Bible because that's where God has spoken most clearly to us. It's divine revelation inspired by God. And then we have to listen to other people. God strategically places people in our lives that every once in a while they have an I see in you moment, they see something in us and they call it out just like Paul did to Timothy. So I'm watching this happen with many of you. I'm watching God... Clarify his calling in your life. Um, I've got a friend. I think she's in the house right now. Yes, she is. I'm going to embarrass her a little bit. Um, Sarah Gallegos. So Sarah and I've known each other for a long time. She was at the last church I pastored. Here's a picture of her family. Uh, Dustin's in the house. Dustin's been a trustee since so like, like day one. I should let him retire at some point, but I'm not going to. Uh, beautiful family. Let me talk to you about Sarah. Sarah is uh, obviously she's she's a wife. She's a mother to two beautiful children. She's a school teacher. But in, in recent years, she's developed this passion for Afghan refugees, and it's, it's the overflow of her relationship with God. Sarah loves Jesus. She's very intimate with Jesus. And, and, and as she's come to know people in a personal way who are part of that community, it has wrecked her heart. And her compassion has grown and grown and grown. And she and I have often talked about preaching the gospel, how it's words and deeds. And Sarah is so good with deeds, but she has struggled a little bit with words, It's been scary for her to actually share her her story and God's story with her um, Afghan friends. But she has so much credibility w- with this community. And I don't know if I have all the details right, but two weeks ago, she had a conversation with a refugee. He's moving here, right? His family's moving here? He is stuck in He's stuck in Afghanistan trying to get out of Afghanistan, so let's pray for him. But I think it was via Zoom, is that right? Uh, no, it's a, a secure messaging app. So, I'm so glad I'm getting the detail real time right here. That's great. <laughs> But, but long story short, she shared her faith with this guy. He came to faith. And last week she was on the porch, misty-eyed, telling me that it just wrecked her. Can we put our hands together for Sarah and her calling, <laughs> living it out well and beautifully? Yeah, thanks for being bold. So if we're going to find our, our role in God's game of, of restoring people into relationship with himself and making things right in, in this world uh, we have to find our unique vocation through the process of listening and trying and failing forward until we find it. And we also need to understand that we have two callings, not just one, but two. So Oz Guinness, if you're a book on this topic, read The Call by Oz Guinness, uh, one of the better intellectuals, I think, in evangelical Christianity in the last 50 years, trained by uh, Francis Schaefer. He says this about our two callings. Uh, our primary calling as followers of Christ is by him, to him, and for him. Our secondary calling, considering who God is as sovereign, is that everyone, everywhere, and in everything should think, speak, live, and act entirely for him. We can therefore properly say, as a matter of secondary calling, that we are called to homemaking or to the practice of law or to art history. He's just giving examples. So, did you catch that? There's like this common universal calling that all followers of Jesus have, and then there's a specific calling, the unique way we, we live that out in, in our, with our backgrounds and with our you know, being students or single or married or having kids or not having kids. We have to kind of live in the tension of this dual calling. Um, this was certainly true of Timothy. So Timothy received his common calling that we all receive, which is this. First and foremost, it is to love God and be loved by God. We have to understand the primary calling that we have as disciples of Jesus is is to just simply be in loving relationship with God and day by day to let him fuel us with that love and infuse his love with us because we can't love other people if we're not enjoying the love of God, right? 1 John 4.19, we love because he first loved us. Our primary calling is to enjoy our inheritance as sons and daughters of God who relish in the love of God on a daily basis. And the second thing is we're to love people. Jesus said you can summarize the whole Bible with these two commands. Love God and be in love with God and let God love you. And then love other people in the name of God with the overflow. And then finally, if you read all the Gospels, the, the churches that are, those Gospels were written to, uh, they get this commissioning at the end of each Gospel. Jesus says something like, be my witnesses or go make disciples. We're all called. This is not just the, the role of the clergy or pastors or you know paid staff members in churches, to make disciples. We are all called, every single one of us, to make disciples and to restore people's relationship with Jesus and help them become formed, reformed back in the image of God as they follow Jesus. Uh, my, my son, uh, I have five kids. My oldest is 27, and my son's an entrepreneur, and uh, he, he lives in Durham, went to UNC Chapel Hill. Come on. Who are we rooting for, by the way? Oh, we got some. Oh, Duke. You know what, I got... So I, I, I'm a Ku fan. We got any Ku fans in the house? Okay, yeah, we got some Ku grads. Come on. So they're in my bracket. I, I hope they win, but I, I, secretly I'm kind of hoping for Duke, man. Coach K. Anyway, I, I, I digress rapidly. Um, so my son. Anyway, we're talking the other day. We talked was on Fridays on his way home from work, and uh, he has this company called the Luma Project, and it's it's like point of sale narrative advertising, he as he's. Uh, these tablets and he tells the story behind products and tries to humanize the products and he's in HEB and Harris Teeter and uh, Kroger just picked them up and other kind of like small kind of boutique-y sort of chains and um, I'm super proud of him obviously. He's done really really well and um, he's, his company is 4.9 on a five-point scale glass door. Can you tell I'm proud of him? Okay so uh, but he, he calls me like four weeks ago and he said dad i you know it, it's it's kind of tough getting venture capital and all. And he goes, I'm running really hard. They just had a baby, my first grandchild. He's working like 90 to 100 plus weeks, hour weeks, and um, inherited a little workaholism from his dad probably. And he goes, I can keep going at this pace, but my staff can't. And they're all saying, hey, this is exciting. we got lots of buzz. You know, we're eventually probably going to sell the company. They're all waiting for the big payday. And and he says, I don't think they're going to make it. But he says, even more importantly, if I don't change how I'm working, how we're, we're doing this project together, um, I'm going to miss out. He goes, my, my relationship with God is suffering. And then he said something that is an answer to prayer, a prayer I've been praying for a long time. He said, Dad, if I humanize products and I create a great company with great culture and we all make a lot of money, but I don't make disciples and and people face any A Christless eternity because I didn't play my role? He goes, that's messed up. He goes, i got to quit just playing defense. i got to play offense. And so he's trying to figure out what it looks like for him to make disciples. We're talking about him starting a simple church with his wife and some friends of theirs and multiply those simple churches. Um, He's realizing that his common calling kind of got lost in, in the shuffle as he was working on a specific calling of being an entrepreneur. So we all have this common calling, and that's where we stay rooted. That's how we stay grounded. We always go, common calling first, be in love with God, love God, love people, make disciples. But then it plays out in our specific calling. And so Timothy's specific calling was to be a son, a friend. Um, I think he became a tent maker because Paul would, he would have, like, support. He would raise support, but then he'd make tents to supplement his income Like a lot of our staff do, we have a side hustle. Most of us have a side hustle. And so that was going on. But Paul made tents as his side hustle. I think he probably trained Timothy to make tents. So it was a part of his specific calling. And and he was a missionary, and he later became um, the pastor of the church in Ephesus, led a huge movement, disciple making movement there. So did you catch that? You got a common calling love God, love people, make disciples. You got a specific calling. And you have to have both oars in the water all the time. And it all matters. Every bit of it matters. CEO, artist, single, married, not married. Everything matters to God. It's all a part of your calling. So over here, common calling. Love God, love people, make disciples. Over here, everything else, every square inch of your life is over here. That matters just as much. Please hear that. So row with me for a minute. Come on, let's go. You rowing? Okay. You've got to have both oars in the water all the time. You know why I do this? I've done this illustration before. Your lips are going up and down as you row. It's really hilarious from my my vantage point to watch you do this, okay? Abraham Kuyper, who was the prime minister of the the Netherlands, once said, "Um, in the total expanse of human life, there is not a single square inch of which uh, the Christ, who alone is sovereign, does not declare, that is mine. Every single area of our life matters to God. It's all his because he's sovereign. He's Lord, he's king. So I've got a friend, uh, he was already up on the stage, I don't know where he went, but Tim Brown, I've watched Tim Brown, back in the corner there, I've watched him in a very beautiful, graceful way, live out of his dual calling, his common calling and his specific calling, and uh, we asked him this week, hey, could you just let us capture that on a video, and so I think you'll enjoy this and be inspired by it.
1: So it would have been 2010, and I was 18. I was a freshman at School of Mines. I remember coming to Mines and just being in this place where it felt like I was at a crossroads. Uh, I wasn't strong in my faith. Uh, I felt like my life didn't have a lot of purpose. And I remember I was walking to class one day when this guy walks up to me on campus, random guy named Billy Sprague, and he puts his hand on my shoulder and says, hey man, I've been praying for you. I thought, that's a weird thing to say to somebody that you don't know. And I had known who this guy was because uh, he was a pretty influential dude. And he went on to invite me to his men's group. And I didn't even know what a men's group was at the time. But I said yes, uh, just because I, I knew who he was and uh, you know, thought it might be a good idea. Eventually, I showed up to his men's group. And I remember just walking into that group and just feeling uh, the love of the guys there. And it really was what catalyzed my faith. Um, fast forward a couple of years and I start following Jesus. As I started to read about God's purpose and his plan for not only mankind, but also for me specifically, I, I couldn't get past this idea of this universal calling for us to go and make disciples. And I remember around that same time I was I was getting involved with the church and there was a Sunday where it just felt like I had this very clear thought from God to preach the gospel and to start a church with Billy Sprague. I started working full-time as a petroleum engineer. Uh, I was pursuing that degree at Mines and uh, was working in downtown Denver uh, for a corporate oil and gas company. And I just remember thinking like, God, how can I start a church? How can I how can I preach the gospel while I'm working this full-time engineering job? It was like I was called to do two things. You know, around that same time was when uh, this guy named Jason Sodersham calls me. He first cast the vision for what would someday become the Brook, uh, which is a young adult's ministry. So fast forward to 2019, and Jason and his wife Molly moved down to Denver, and Jason calls me up and says, hey man, uh, I'm in Denver, want to start up this thing? And I said, I'm in, let's do it. Uh, still working full-time as an engineer, and uh, Jason, Molly, and myself just started sitting around there, uh, living room table and praying and dreaming and talking about what it would look like to uh, Start this young professionals church. You know, it's funny. I, I, I think back to all those small moments and in, in my journey of Stepping into God's plan for my life uh, This co-vocational calling being called to work full-time as an engineer, but also being called um, to be involved in the church Uh, is something that I could have never crafted up on my own. It's something that I could have never dreamed up on on my own. Yeah, Jesus is calling to make disciples and to take part in his plan for humankind. It's not just one for professional pastors. Uh, It's a calling for everyday, ordinary leaders, people like me, people just like you.
0: Can we put our hands together for Tim? That awesome. Timothy to watch you like navigate your 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 dual callings so well. Uh, if you didn't catch it, he's the director of operations for the Brook, our, our young adult ministry, which is like a church within the church. Um, he's also the, the vice president of engineering at Iron Horse Resources. It's an oil and gas uh, hedge fund here in Denver. I'm um, going to show you just a little bit about what I think my specific calling is. And it, it may surprise some of you who are are used to pastors like it's all about you know us doing our thing. Uh, I, I think my calling is to help you do your thing. My calling is to do everything in my power to equip you, encourage you, train you, inspire you, resource you to live at your calling every single day of the week. How many Bond fans do we have? James Bond fans? Bond? James Bond? Dude, I love James Bond. Not that many. Dang, people, come on. So um, my favorite part in Bond movies are not just, you know, all the action scenes. Oh, those are pretty cool too. I like watching him interact with M and Q. So he has this love-hate relationship with M, but M's the one who always gives the mission and says, okay, here's what you have to go do to save the world, right? And, and then uh, he leaves and goes and talks to Q, and Q's the one who makes like the Omega watches that kill people and the, and the fancy pens that kill people and the Aston Martins that kill people. You know, it gives them all the tools and stuff, and they have a little repartee, and then he goes out and blows up things with his new toys. Um, I, I don't think I'm called to be M. That's God. He's called you to your common calling, love God, love people, make disciples. I feel like I'm called to be like Q. I'm called to give you you tools and concepts and opportunities so that you can live out your your common calling and your your specific calling. Is that that a good job for me to have? Okay. That's what I want to do until my last dying breath is I want to equip people, everyday disciples, to just relish in, in how God has designed them to play his game of bringing the kingdom of heaven to earth. And so if we're going to find our Our calling, we have to embrace the uniqueness of it. We have to realize there's two parts to our calling, common and specific, and ask God to guide us along the way in understanding that. And we have to realize everything is sacred if done in faith and to the glory of God. And the last thing we need to understand is that we we have to be spiritually opportunistic. Last part of uh, the text we'll look at today, verses 6 through 10. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. You're catching all this, right? Uh, during the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and helping us, help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So here's what's happening. Paul's on this journey. He's trying to figure out his calling. He wants to go to Asia. It has been his dream to go preach in Asia and make disciples in Asia. And, and the Holy Spirit says, no, no. Just kind of gives him a check, no. And, and then he wants to go to Bithynia. Holy Spirit says, no, you're not going to Bithynia. And then he has this dream one night. And in the dream, there's somebody in Macedonia, modern-day Greece, who says, hey, we really could use this message of hope in Europe. So can you come here? And Paul goes and takes his team with him to, to Europe, to Greece. And one of the reasons we're here right now is because he established this beachhead in the Western world, and we're here in part because he listened to the Holy Spirit and responded to that nuance of his call. What was Paul doing? He was being spiritually opportunistic. The way we get clearer on our unique calling is to let the Spirit nudge us towards the opportunities the Spirit has for us. So one of my mentors is a a guy named uh, Larry Osborne, and he talks about the dimmer, Switch principle. You, know, you can adjust the, the light. And, and Larry likes to talk about how when we take steps of obedience and faith, the light gets brighter. The more you obey God and listen to those promptings of the Spirit, the light gets brighter and you're able to see your calling more clearly. But whenever you don't obey, it gets a little darker. And so for us to come into the light and understand our, our callings uh, in a more clear way, we have to frequently listen to the Spirit, prompt or check, Prompt or check. And then when we get prompted, we obey. And it can be something as min- mundane as doing the dishes or changing a diaper. But as we listen and obey, the light gets brighter. So, uh, some of you, you're knocking a door right now and you're like, I'm single. Am I supposed to get married? Okay. Um, others of you, you're dating somebody. You, you met them on uh, hopefully Hinge, not Tinder. And you're, you're knocking, right? You're knocking and like, is, it, is this the person? Is this the person? And you're waiting for that prompt or, or that check. Listen to the Holy Spirit. The Spirit knows what's best for you. Uh, some of you are li- like looking for a career. You're knocking on doors. Or you're waiting to start a company. You're knocking on doors. Or you're thinking about moving. No, stay here. But you're, you're knocking. You're knocking, right? And you're looking for those opportunities. And either the Spirit's prompting you and giving you peace. And you're going through those doors or no. You're saying no, no, no. The Spirit knows what's best. And as we obey, then, then uh, our calling is clearer. Um, I've experienced this with kids over the years. So I only have five kids. Um, So I knocked many, many years ago, and I've got Cole, my 27-year-old, knocked again, and and the Spirit said, yeah, go for it again. I got Sabrina knocked again, and and I got my my, uh, youngest daughter, my first marriage, uh, Macy, and then I remarried a woman who's never had kids, never been married. She's on the front row right here. And, and, And... She started knocking for me, and so I followed suit. And and, and then we had Chester, and then she goes, I think we should have another one. I go, okay, I'll pray about it. We started knocking, and then we had had Emory. And I'm like, okay, enough already, please. And then seriously, two nights ago, pray for for us. um, Two nights ago, we're watching, you know, all the news about the Ukraine. We're seeing all these, like, orphans. And she goes, I wonder if God's calling us to adopt an orphan. No, not ooh. Don't (laughs) encourage this. Do not encourage this. I'm like, no. Come on. Please check us. Don't prompt us. But anyway, I'm trying to be surrendered. Pray for us. Please pray for us, okay? Anyway, we we find our specific calling at the intersection of intimacy and opportunity. As we develop an intimate understanding of God and his voice, we learn to hear it. And then God gives us opportunities. He opens doors. He closes doors. He prompts us. And he checks us. So a little tool for you, because I promised you I'd be like, Q, and I'm going to give you tools. Um, there was this, this thing back in the 80s we called it a quiet time. Anybody grew up in the 80s, quiet time? Okay, it's just simply getting quiet before God and, and just enjoying his presence. So here's how this works for me. This is my favorite time of the day. I try to get before the kids get up, but most of the time it ends up with them on my lap. And I make some uh, bullet coffee, you know, a little butter my coffee. I'm into that now. I'm that guy. So I have my coffee. I have my Bible. I do our Bible reading plan here at at Restoration. And I just take whatever text that I have that day, I pray the Lord's Prayer, and kind of walk through that really slowly and listen to God. And then I get in the text. And here's what I'm doing. I'm not trying to learn anything. I'm not looking for new insights. I'm not looking for ideas I can communicate on the weekends. I'm simply trying to listen to the voice of God as God desires to love me in that text. I'm just waiting to hear him love me in that text. Today it was Deuteronomy 28. And I was, it's about the blessings and curses of following God or not following God. And I go, oh my gosh, you just so want to bless me. That's your heart towards me. You just want to bless me. Like you just want to lavish me with love and favor and blessing. You're such a good God. And then after I let my heart get full of his love and just enjoy sitting there quietly in his presence, I look through the calendar and I go, what have, what have I got today? What do you have for me? What opportunities? Do you want me to maximize? Are there opportunities you want me to participate in today? I'm not even seeing. Maybe you tell. Maybe he tells me right then, or maybe it just happens as I'm going through the day. He creates a moment where I can be used by him in some way to, to love people in the name of Jesus or to encourage a disciple. Isn't that beautiful? It's just, it flows out of intimacy. It's at the intersection of intimacy and opportunity that we discover our calling moment by moment by moment. My spiritual family this is what god wants for every single one of us he wants us to discover through intimacy with him our unique calling the dual nature of our calling and he wants to open, opportunity, open up opportunities for us to be blessed and to be a blessing for other people he wants all of us all of us to play in his game of restoring the world and bringing the kingdom of heaven to earth so we got to end with rudy right Rudy, two years. So you know the story? Two years, he never gets to play in a single game. And then for some reason the coach had an intuition he might be able to give Rudy a little playing time on that last game of the season against Georgia Tech, and so he has him suit up, and then with just you know a few seconds left on the clock, Notre Dame is up, 24 to3 against Georgia Tech. and all the guys on the sidelines are saying, "Come on, let Rudy in. Rudy, 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 let Rudy in." And the coach relinquishes. To that request, he says, okay, okay. And Rudy plays three plays, one uh, on special teams, two as his you know, little 165-pound defensive, defensive end. And on the last play of the game, he sacks the Georgia Tech quarterback to end the game. And the crowd just goes nuts. Thousands of people are cheering him because it's Rudy. And they've heard his story in the, for, for the first time in Notre Dame history. The football players put Rudy on their shoulders and they carry a football player off the field. Isn't that a great story? If you haven't seen the movie, you've got to watch the movie. Well, my restoration family, that can be the story of all of us. If we respond to our calling, if we follow the Spirit speaking to us day by day, one day, one day, Jesus is going to come back. He's going to finish this restoration work that we get to be a part of now. And he's going to restore all things. And God himself will put us on his shoulders, carry us off the field into eternity, and he will say to us, well done, well done. So we have a couple opportunities as a church that we can do together these next couple weeks. We mentioned them at the, the top of the service. Just a couple ways for us collectively to, to respond to God's call on us as a church and on us as individuals. Um, one is we got an outreach day next week. We're brand new in this neighborhood. Most people don't even know we're here yet. They drive by, they see the black tarp going. That's an ugly church. What's going on inside there? You know, we're fixing that by the way. Um, but they don't even know we're here, and we want to invite them. And so we're going to do an old-fashioned prayer walk. If you come next week, well, if you want to do this, we'll hand you a little stack of door hangers. And we don't want you knocking on doors. That's kind of weird. But just we're going to ask you to go down, up and down one block and just pray for every single home and, and for the people behind those doors. Just pray for them. And this could be spiritually transformational. You, may, just, you may, get, may become more alert to the activity of God, not just in this neighborhood, but in your life just by walking and praying and sensing what God might be doing behind those doors. Then we're asking you to put a door hanger on there and just invite people to be a part of our Easter experience so they can come and hear uh, a message of hope the second thing is with Easter coming up man what a great cultural opportunity for us to, to share faith by bringing our friends and again five services the chapel will be open by then we're, we're making great progress We'll have overflow over there um, just encourage it to start praying for your friends and then invite them so on your seats there's little cards little prayer cards and hot off the press we just got them like an hour ago I want to encourage you to take those home and just put down the names of, of a few people. Just ask God, who in my life right now needs hope, needs the hope of an Easter message? And then invite them. And I believe we'll see God do some really cool things on Easter weekend. Thanks for listening, you guys. Let's pray, Father, we we thank you uh, that, that you have so much meaning, so much purpose for every single one of us. That, that You don't want us to be just like, wearing the jersey, sitting in the bleachers. You want all of us to actually get in the game and and know the thrill of of victories and defeats and the thrill of of sacrifice and love. And so, Father, uh, help us be the kind of people who don't walk out of here today having heard something, but then we don't do anything with it. Help us be uh, those kind of people who prove themselves doers of the word and not just hearers who delude themselves. So as we've heard you speak to us. Help us make like I will statements to do actionable that will help us grow deeper in your calling. And that we pray Father for Easter weekend that we see beautiful things happen in people's lives. We pray these things in Jesus name. Amen.